Welcome to Critical Transit, episode 31. On today's show, I sit down with Anthony Angaro and Mitch Vars of Nice Ride, Minnesota, a bike-sharing system in the Twin Cities. All that and an update on my travels uh, coming up in just a moment. So as I'm recording this in late April 2013, I'm spending a few weeks in Minneapolis and enjoying some time here, biking around the Twin Cities, taking transit, and uh, I've met so many great, wonderful people that have uh, showed me around, showed me the the city and the bike culture. There are seven different bike collectives, at least seven, in Minneapolis and St. Paul. And uh, so that's that's very exciting, you know. I mean, uh, you know, big cities like Chicago have have one. Uh, I think New York has a couple. Boston has one, uh, as far as I know, you know. So uh, it's it's very exciting to see all this this thriving bike culture here, and it's it's really based around the bike paths that are the spine of the network. The city has a system of trails that uh, you know were built decades ago around lakes, you know, just really recreational off street trails. Um, just the path along the lake and there'd be like a, you know, a walking path and a, and a biking path. Uh, but then it's been expanded in, in the past decade or two, uh, the Midtown Greenway was kind of the highlight and that opened in an old rail corridor, which is basically in a trench under, uh, under the the city streets. So, uh, it's fast and, uh, it's wide, it's very convenient and, uh, it's very well used even in the winter, you know, I see people biking constantly on it. Uh, it's been my last few days in Minneapolis have been uh, nice warm weather and uh, it's getting warmer now. So although I hear there might be snow next week, so uh, trying to enjoy it while it lasts. And as it's been warm, there are a lot of people out on the Greenway just having fun, you know, in, enjoying the city. And in addition to the Greenway, there, there, is a, there are trails all over now. There's a trail along the light rail line that goes to downtown. There's another trail on the west side of downtown, the Cedar Lake Trail. Um, and there, you know, there are a couple of gaps that sort of need to be filled in, but for the most part, it's pretty easy to get around the city, mostly on trails and then, uh, some bike lanes and, uh, quiet streets to fill in the rest. And, uh, it's really, really pretty place biking along the river, uh, just a great place to go for a ride. And, and, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in my interview with the folks from nice ride because that people use nice ride for many different purposes. And, uh, one of those purposes is just, you know, taking a ride when you got a free 20 minutes or, uh, you know, just realizing that, that you got a little bit of time to get from one place to another. And so you're going to, uh, you're going to just take a bike and go for a ride and then end up where you need to go. Or sometimes you're, you're in a rush. And so that's why you get a bike. Cause it's the fastest way around. Um, and a bike is the fastest way around, uh, in most of the city. So, uh, that's that's great. Uh, anyway, in, in this interview, uh, I'm speaking with Anthony Angaro, the marketing director, and Mitch Vars, the IT director of Nice Ride Minnesota. I rode down to their offices on 36th Avenue, near the right off the Midtown Greenway, and uh, they have a you know cool little space. Um, Anthony showed me the, around the shop a little bit after we sat and talked for a while. So that was exciting. And then I ran into Bill Dossett who's the executive director of nice ride. And I asked him some of his favorite rides. So, um, you stay tuned for that. And yeah, and, um, this episode is going to be all about bike sharing. Uh, after I talked to Anthony and Mitch and Bill, I 
uh, it was a pretty lousy day, so I didn't I didn't do much riding that day. But a few days later, I was in St. Paul at the beautifully renovated Union Depot, which is the uh, the old train station in St. Paul, which is now going to be the the terminus for the new Green Line light rail, which opening next year, as as well as a, a bus hub for a number of local buses and uh, Jefferson Lines intercity buses. And also Amtrak is going to have a stop there. There's actually a station already built for Amtrak and there are Amtrak signs. So that's very exciting because right now Amtrak drops you off in this this horrible location in the middle of nowhere, basically in, in Midway, kind of halfway between the, down, the two downtowns in an industrial area. And then you have to take you have to walk a bit and take the bus to uh, wherever you want to go, Route 16, uh, University Avenue. And uh, so having, although there will not be a stop in downtown Minneapolis, at least having the stop in St. Paul will allow you to hop off and get on the train or or the 94 Express bus nearby and, uh, you know, have a quick trip into Minneapolis if that's your destination. So uh, that's very exciting. And so when I was at Union Depot, I, I took a, a bike share rental. It was... The the day that the system was turned back on after some some snowstorms, um, I believe it was Saturday, and uh, the the Thursday before, the system was shut down during a blizzard. That that uh, I was very excited to be out, you know, taking pictures and of buses and stuff, and and just walking around. And uh, I also wanted a ride, so I tried to grab a nice ride on Thursday, but the system was shut down because of the storm. Much credit goes to the nice ride employees for uh, clearing out the stations and and getting everything back up and running. That's something they're not really equipped to do because Nice Ride generally doesn't operate in the winter. They're not really equipped to be clearing stations of snow and uh, dealing with issues uh, such as we talked about in the interview with uh, you know with lack of solar power to power the stations and those sorts of things. So um, you know, much credit goes to them for for keeping that up and running. And now that it's warmer in the Twin Cities, people are are out riding. I saw a lot of people the other day on Nice Ride bikes. So very very exciting. So. I'm going to jump into my interview, and I will uh, talk to you in little bits and pieces uh, on the other side. I hope you will enjoy. So I'm here in the Nice Ride Minnesota office in South Minneapolis with Anthony Ongaro and Mitch Vars. Uh, Anthony is the marketing director, and Mitch is the IT director for Nice Ride. And Mitch has a nice Nice Ride shirt. So excellent. Um, so thank you guys for for doing this. Thank you. Great. Um, so I wanted to come over here. I'm very excited to get to Minneapolis. And, uh, and I want to come over here and find out more about the, the wonderful system. Uh, I've used it a couple times. And I, I interviewed uh, Claire from Madison B-Cycle a couple weeks ago. Uh, so I think people are mostly familiar with bike sharing by now. But uh, for those who may not be familiar with, with it, um, maybe one of you can give us just a quick overview of just what it is, how it works, and uh, then we can go from there. Sure. Um, you know, I'd be happy to do that. Um, firstly, thank you for coming and, and joining us here, and we're excited to, to talk to you about it. So, um, bike sharing in general is a way for a, a large population of people to use a limited number of bikes and um, really have it and have access to it at, in any time and wherever you need it. Um, it's a great way to take short trips throughout the city to get to work, uh, home, anything like that, and it can be done with just an annual subscription. That you would get um, via our website. Cool, and uh, Nice Ride's been in operation for, I believe, this is the third season. Going to our fourth, actually. Fourth, ooh. Okay, and it's um, so last year it expanded into St. Paul, which is is very exciting. And um, 
what, how would you say that having the nice ride stations on the street has changed bicycling and uh, just the general bike culture and attitude in Twin Cities? Minneapolis has seen a really uh, big increase in cycling in the past five years, and um, that goes uh, hand-in-hand with nice ride and with other infrastructure changes in the city. So we've got tremendous number of miles of bike lanes and off-street paths and uh, other bike facilities, and um, that stuff was built at the same time that nice ride was getting established. So we our first year was 2010, and some of our initial funding was part of a much larger project to improve bike facilities in Minneapolis. St. Paul's still quite a bit behind Minneapolis in terms of bike facilities, but they're, working, they're kind of playing catch-up at this point. Um, the, the bike share and the access to all of this other bike infrastructure has really got the ball rolling in terms of getting more people on bikes, so we're seeing really dramatic increases in the number of people who are commuting to work and the number of people who are riding on weekends and the number of people who are using bikes as transportation to get around the city. Well, and I've heard that in St. Paul there's been a little bit of a, of a lag in terms of the nice ride usage, and I guess that, uh, from what I've heard it hasn't been what you guys had hoped. Um, is that true, and if so, maybe are there any reasons for that? Well, I mean, of course we always hope for numbers bigger than they are, but uh, I think there are a few numbers, a few reasons why the numbers in St. Paul have uh, not met our expectations. One is that they don't have the kind of bike facilities that Minneapolis has, and that's something that we're working with them on, and they uh, seem you know, very receptive to trying to change that. The other thing is, is that we know from past experience in Minneapolis that it takes a while for it to catch on, so if we put in a, a new station in a neighborhood where we didn't previously serve, it might go half a season with very little use before people kind of figure out um, that it's something that might be useful to them in their life and uh, and the people who live in that neighborhood will start to get the numbers up. Um, so we're hoping now that this will be our second season in the downtown area of St. Paul that we're going to see a big increase. It's kind of yet to be seen away for the weather change. Mm-hmm. And do you think that once the stations come in, um, is it your experience that the bike facilities kind of follow? That's a big question in bike share, and there's this chicken or egg thing. Should we build bike share first, or should we try to build bike lanes and other bike infrastructure first. Nobody has a really good answer to it. I think that you can't lose either way. If you build bike lanes, your bike share is going to benefit from it. If you build bike share, if you're successful, you're going to put a lot more people on the street, and um, they're going to need places to ride, and um, eventually that's going to lead to your cities uh, doing the work to get the the other bike infrastructure built. in Minneapolis, like I said, it kind of happened at the same time, so it's not easy to say whether we led to an increase in cycling or they did. In St. Paul, they're going to have to try to get things in place after we're already there. Mm-hmm. And um, what what are some of the um, some of the challenges that are involved in, um, in in sort of setting up the system and getting people to to incorporate that as as part of their lives? Is um, what what kind of I guess what kind of efforts have been made to that? Well, there's a lot of different groups of users, and we approach those groups in different ways. So we've done a lot of outreach to low-income communities where typically bikes, uh, uh, bike usage is low. Um, there are, uh, you know, our typical user is uh, well-educated and has a reasonably high income, and those are the low-hanging fruit, and they're easy to get. If you're talking about people who are lower income and uh, and don't already uh, go out and ride their carbon fiber road bike on the weekend, um, they're a quite a bit bigger challenge to get involved in bike share. Um, 
in different communities, the view of biking as a way to get around really varies. So some people think that it's really great. I'm uh, saving money on gas. I don't have to drive my car. I don't have to be stuck in traffic. It's good for the environment and so forth and all. You know, they have their set of reasons why they like it. And in other communities, they think the only reason you would ride a bike is because you don't have a car or you don't have a driver's license. And so it's uh, a much bigger challenge to get that group to change their view of biking and think about it as something that can fit into their life. Mm -hmm. Is that, I mean, how do, you, how do you guys go about that? Uh, we've tried a lot of things. We do a lot of workshops, so we do a lot of public outreach. Um, we send people out to uh, take them, kind of do some hand-holding and take them on a tour on the bikes. We give away free subscriptions, um, and even that can be tough at times, at just getting people who, who are interested enough that they want to become part of the system and not have to pay for a subscription. Um, beyond that, we've had some other groups in town that are doing bike advocacy that have used our bikes, for example, to teach adults how to ride bikes who have never ridden a bike before. We've got a large Somali immigrant community in Minneapolis, and the and a lot of people in that group never had access to bicycles before they came to the states and they're you know they may be 40 years old but they've never been on a bike in their life where they're otherwise pretty much unfamiliar with riding a bike and so we've loaned out a large number of our bikes to to these organizations that are teaching these people to ride um, do you do you guys have any any numbers on how the system has has been going and how many people are using it and what the trip patterns are? Um, the number of uh, rentals has been increasing pretty rapidly year over year. So in our first season, which was a little shorter than a normal year, we didn't start until June that year, we had about 100,000 rentals. The second year, we had 220,000 approximately. Last last year, the third year, we had 275,000. The um, number of casual users that we have, so that's the walk-up user who's buying a day pass, is going up at a very fast rate. The number of annual users we have is pretty static, so we're at about 3,500 right now, and we're having a, a little bit of a tough time getting beyond that. Um, hopefully we're gonna make some changes this year that's gonna get more people to become longer-term users. But so far in the first three years, it's, it's kind of been, um, it, it's kind of been limited to the walk-up user. Hmm. I'm, I'm surprised by that because you know, in, uh, I, I was a annual subscriber in Boston hmm. and I lived there and, and I've used it in other places as well including here and uh, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that people um, you know, usually you would, you would think that once somebody takes a bike and takes it for the first trip or two then they realize that oh this is this can be a great way to fit into my life you know when I have that when I want to have my bike for you know half an hour for this quick short trip you know but I want to take the bus the rest of the day and you know, that sort of thing well, I think in D.C. and Boston and some of these East Coast cities, the the cities are so much different from Minneapolis-St. Paul in that they have expensive transit, they have a lot of parking pressure that's very high cost, um, they have a lot of people living without cars, which we don't have, and um, so all these things lead to bike share looking like a really good deal. And in Minneapolis, cars still work pretty good. I can drive downtown and find a place to park, and it doesn't cost me a fortune. You know, it's not free, but I can do it. Um, my employer may pay for me to park downtown. And uh, the traffic is bad, but congestion isn't what it is in D.C. So um, those things keep people off bikes. And when you have a city like Washington, D.C., where you've got 40% of people living car-free already because they're already dependent on public transit, then this is just another uh, 
component of the public transit system to them. We don't really have that. It doesn't, it doesn't make that kind of immediate sense to people in the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. And I guess in that situation, you're not really taking people out of cars so much. It's more just giving them a, you know, a better option. I mean, certainly, um, you don't have to take people mm-hmm. out of cars to improve people's lives, certainly. Right. Um, I see that. It's about uh, kind of adding a second option for those days when you're able to do it and, and when you can. It kind of brings up uh, one of our big focuses this year, and we've been really working on, but this year is a big push for the employer programs where um, we're working with downtown employers in St. Paul and Minneapolis to um, either um, kind of market the the program to their employees or provide a way for the employees to get the uh, annual subscription for less expensive. Um, Right now, the annual subscription is about um, $65, which uh, can be largely reduced by an employer that wants their employees to live in a more active, healthier life. Um, So, you know, commuting to work on a bike is, is a big part of that as well. Mm-hmm. And what about other options? Maybe maybe having like a monthly pass or something like that. There's a little bit more less of a commitment for people, than, um, or just you know like a free week trial or something. You know, just to get them to, to try it. Well, not a free week, but I don't know. Maybe something something where they can feel like they can try it out, and then I don't know. I guess you guys are kicking around stuff like that. You know, we've done a lot of uh, free one day passes. I mean, literally tens of thousands of them. Very few of them get used. So uh, right. even though we're saying. Go ahead, try it out. Take the bike for the day for free. Um, the 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 take up rate on that is less than ten percent. Wow, that's and uh, we've also done a lot of free one year subscriptions. And one of the issues that you have is that if the user doesn't pay enough for it, they don't value it enough to use it. So I put a key in somebody's pocket for free or for twenty dollars or something. And at the end of the year, when they've had access to the bikes for all that time, I look at how many rentals they have, and they've had three rentals. So it really doesn't fulfill my mission, which is to put people on bikes. Um, you know, it may bring in some small amount of revenue to us, but it's re- it's pretty insignificant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When it when it comes down to, to that, there seems to be kind of this barrier of um, trying out the bike is great, and people will try it. They'll use a day pass, um, you know, maybe go with a friend sometime, and then uh, they'll take the bike around, have a great time. But there's this kind of missing element in the idea of how would this really fit into my life in, in a way that um, makes sense. So, you know, if I have to wear a suit to work, maybe there's some, some conceptions about not being able to bike while wearing a suit, things like that. And those are some of the things we're trying to break down, you know. Yeah. In, in, uh, <laughs> you can certainly bike life. in a suit. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely you can bike in a suit. Yeah. So um, what are, let's, let's, maybe let's just give us a little bit. i um, curious about some of the technical challenges and issues that are involved in, in actually running the system. Um, it does get a lot of use. Um, so, Well, um, I can tell you what's going on right now. Uh, we have had snow and rain for a week and a half, <laughs> so obviously we're not renting a lot of bikes, but all of our equipment is solar powered, so nothing's hardwired. Um, there's a couple of basically like a deep cycle battery in each of our stations that keeps them running when it's dark out. Uh, but I haven't had any sunlight for 12 days running now, and I've got dead batteries all over town. So I got a lot of guys moving really heavy lead acid batteries around, and a lot of batteries on battery chargers. The other thing that's a, a common um, troublesome item is that all of the the transactions are done wirelessly. So basically, each st- each station has the equivalent of a cell phone in it with a data plan, and uh, if there's a problem with the cell phone network. 
uh, a tower goes down or something like that, then a whole big section of our system can go down and nobody's able to rent bikes and it causes billing irregularities and things like that. Uh, there's a, I think that uh, people who are unfamiliar with third generation bike share think that you put a bunch of bikes out on the street and you know people ride them and that's about it but there really is a lot of technology behind it that makes it possible that gives us the kind of accountability for keeping track of where the bikes are at and making sure that they get returned and being able to build accurately and things like that and it's a very immature industry so we don't have a lot of places where we can go to buy equipment and the equipment is not as plug and play as most people are familiar with, as most people expect nowadays. You know, it's, it doesn't work the way your iPhone does quite yet. <laughs> Soon, though. Soon you'll be able to just, I don't know, just, I don't know. I mean, it's pretty simple as is. I guess you get the little key thing. Well, maybe you wouldn't need the key thing. Maybe you can just, uh, you Well, know. to the user, I want it to be as simple as possible. I want people to not have to think about it and to not have to have any sort of special knowledge or skills to use it it should be really seamless and simple and they should be able to jump on the bike in seconds and go and 99% of the time that's what happens occasionally you know there are things that break down and then we get phone calls and so forth but mm -hmm. uh, for the most part we want to try to keep all that stuff hidden from the user so that it doesn't impact their, their experience of, of riding the bike because if it's not really convenient then we can't expect people to get on yeah, I, I have have had no problems here. I, I used it for two days so far here, and uh, and it's worked great. And when I was in Madison, um, I did have a couple issues when I first was starting to use it. And at first, I had I had a couple stations that well, we had some mapping issues. I couldn't find some, but then I had a, a couple of stations that were full, and there was one that was out of service that had a sign on it. You must have maybe had a battery issue or something. Uh, I don't know uh, something that that I'm not familiar with, but. Um, yeah, then the, the credit card didn't work sometimes. So like, there are, I imagine there are these issues, and you must get a lot of calls. So you send people out on bikes to go fix these things? Yeah, you know, we have a team of people who are working on the street um, seven days a week from about 7 a.m. to midnight, and their primary job is moving bikes around. So they're taking bikes out of full stations and moving them to empty stations, um, trying to keep the thing relatively in balance and, and responding to where there's demand. Uh, then... Those, that group, along with some other people, are also doing ongoing maintenance. So they're looking for problems with bikes, but they're also looking for problems with stations. Um, is there a way that we can get more sunlight on these solar panels so that we can get those batteries charged? Uh, is every dock point at the station working? I've got 2,500 electronic locks out there that all have a little computer in them and circuit boards and moving parts, and any one of those can go bad and that can lead to people's rentals not being closed, which turns their key off and sort of a cascading chain of events that makes for a bad experience. So it's really a, a seven-day-a-week job to keep up on all the maintenance and keep all the equipment working. In reference to the, um, you know, to calling in about those issues and things, one really cool and exciting thing that we're doing this year is we're actually in-housing our customer service. So um, we used to have our calls fielded um, out of Canada, actually, and, and so now we have some really great local people here that know the streets well and know the systems well to take care of any issues right away that, that happen. Yeah, it's exactly the, 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 the issue that you had. You know, we get calls all the time saying... I'm trying to find the station at 5th Hennepin, and I can't find it. And if you don't have a good mental map of the city and you're on the other end of the phone, then you're not going to be much used to them. And yeah. that, was, that was a big problem in our first three years when we outsourced the customer service. Now that we've got local people, they're able to solve those issues much faster. Mm -hmm. um, do you get a lot of calls with people just with questions about, or inquiries from people, just questions about you know, where to go and where to 
I don't know. I mean, are there other things, or is it just yeah? Problems? We get calls about anything you can imagine. I mean, um, we get common calls like, "Well, why isn't there one outside my house?" Uh, <laughs> we get. Uh, I used or, to work for a transit you know, agency. When, when are you thing? going to be in, in, in such and such a neighborhood? Because we've been doing an expansion every year since we started. Uh, we get a lot of calls from other cities. One of the big things that we've done since we started was kind of act as a model for other cities that are trying to get bike share started, and so we've done a ton of consulting with. Uh, with Boston and with uh, Chicago and with Indianapolis and with Columbus and places where you would never expect this to happen. Um, a lot of uh, even like rural areas that are trying to figure out if there's a solution that makes sense in a smaller city. Um, we also just get a lot of questions about uh, how the bike sharing model operates because it's really an unfamiliar concept to most people even now. It was much, that was much more the case in our first year. Now I ha now it's more common that I have people who say I used it in Madison or I used it in D.C. So they've already seen it somewhere else. And they want to know if ours operates in the same way. Mm -hmm. um, maybe you could elaborate a little bit on on the, um, the structure and how it's on, on, on that. What you just touched on and you know how how it's set up, um, how it's funded and and all that stuff. Uh, we got our start because there were some federal highway dollars that were available to Minneapolis to do bike and pedestrian projects and uh, there was about 20 million dollars in this pilot transportation project that was uh, designed to try to prove that investment in bike and ped infrastructure could change people's behavior, could get people to ride bikes or to walk in place of driving cars and um, we got a small piece of that project of that funding to uh, start our initial project and it was combined with kind of a public-private partnership with our, our um, title sponsor, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Minnesota. So that got the ball rolling, and we had uh, 65 locations in our first year and about 700 bikes. Since then, we've found funding from a number of other sources. The most recent expansions we've done, the funding's come through the National Park Service. So the National Park Service has a transportation program to bring people to national parks, and in the Twin Cities, the Mississippi Riverfront is considered a national park. So this is the same money that if you go to Yosemite and they want to take you to see uh, Half Dome, you go and you take a shuttle bus there, and it's the money that pays for that shuttle bus. In the Twin Cities, we're using it to fund bike share so that we can get people to the riverfront. Uh, in all these cases, that money is then matched by our title sponsor. So uh, we've been able to use this private money to leverage public dollars, and that's been a really successful model so far. That covers all of our capital costs, so that's buying bikes and it's buying bike station equipment, all, all of which is very expensive. Um, then the other half of the business is the operations side. The operations side, that money comes from system revenue, so that's subscriptions and fees that we earn by renting bikes, and also from sponsorship of individual stations. We have about 20 local businesses that sponsor individual stations. They might sponsor one or part of one, and they might sponsor 10. And it's anywhere from a local restaurant to uh, Target Corporation, which is headquartered here. They're our biggest uh, station sponsor. Cool. Yeah, I really like that model because a lot of times what you get is, you know, and from working from transit agencies, you know, you, you would often get these requests for, for stations and stops. And mm -hmm. um, maybe some people don't want the bus. You know, they don't want those people anywhere near them. But then there's the people who want the service and everything. And it's like, okay, you know, how, how about kicking in some money to, to pay for that? And so I like that if you can if you can go, yeah, well, ha we'll happily put a station, in, you know, over here. And, um, you know, obviously if it, if it fits and makes sense and all that. And then, uh, but, uh, you know, you got to help us out a little bit. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, the uh, the system will generate. Uh, last year generated enough revenue to cover about sixty percent of our operating costs. We're hoping to get that a little higher. We'd like to be in the seventy to eighty percent range, with the rest of it made up by sponsorship. But right now, um, in the Twin Cities, we're not even close to making it pay for itself on on the operating side. In uh, some of these cities that have very high usage, like Washington D.C., they're at the break-even point. Um, they're, uh, that doesn't cover the cost of their equipment, and it doesn't. It wasn't, wouldn't even approach the cost of the equipment. Our operating budget last year was about a million dollars. We've spent about seven million dollars on equipment over the last three years. Okay, so that's yeah. Um, but I imagine that there's some stations would be, you know, much higher used than others, and you probably have a lot of stations like in Midway and stuff that aren't as well used. We have stations which are revenue generators, and we have stations which which cost us. And uh, in any city, you're going to have locations where you're going to have huge numbers of rentals, probably in your downtown core. And those are going to be the ones that are going to subsidize the rest of your system. But to build a cohesive network throughout the city so that people can really use it to get to the places that they need to get to, you've got to site your stations uh, you know, no more than a half mile apart, preferably a lot closer than that. So to link the, especially with the geography that we have where we have two, two downtowns that are 10 miles apart, there's a lot of places in between where we know we're not probably going to make any revenue and those stations are going to operate at a loss but it doesn't really make a useful system if we don't have them there so we're trying to find other ways to fund those um, we may we've identified some of them that we say they're there for reasons of equity we want to serve all communities and we want to have all neighborhoods have access to the system and even though in this particular neighborhood we know we're not going to make any money we want to keep the stations there and operate them at a loss and then maybe we can find some grant funding to cover the operations of those of those specific stations um, and well, especially when we talk about stations between the downtowns and the central corridor light rail is just being constructed and it's going to open next year, I believe. Um, how do you think that's going to fit in? Do you think that's going to provide a lot more ridership? Um, I'm, I'm hoping it improves a lot. We came out ahead of it, so the light rail is under construction, and we wanted to get in there while we had the opportunity and there was funding available to put stations in. So we put our stations in while the construction was happening, and that's meant that we've had very low ridership in that area because it's really difficult to get around, whether you're in a car or on a bike or on foot. The streets are all torn up. Um, now we're in a later construction phase. A lot of the paving's done. We're hoping that we're going to see some increases this season, and then when the trains start running, um, then that could lead to a large increase in ridership. Serving the, the, the those multimodal uses are a little bit tricky because it's not enough to put a bike share station at every train station because you don't have a way to get to it and you don't have anywhere to go from it. So unless you can build out into the neighborhoods around the train station, nobody has a bike at their house to get them to the train and nobody can get from the train to their house if there's nowhere to return the bike. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess you have to... And then you're still, so you're still branching out and then in that case you're, you're still running a loss at most of these. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if at some point maybe it makes sense to just sort of scale it back and just, just have, okay, well the train is the link between these downtowns and you know, we're just, the greater downtowns are going to be covered, but there's going to be like this, you know, five-mile gap or whatever. And, or is that something that's just not... Um, I don't know. I guess time will tell. We, we really need to, to experiment and see what the usage looks like and do it over a few seasons. And we're just getting to the point now where we're able to effective, more effectively evaluate the performance of them, some of these locations. So this was the first year when we really did some big moves where we said this location that was meant to serve as a network node hasn't performed well and so we're going to move it because if it's not if it's not paying its way and it's not there for reasons of equity then we've got to move it to some place where it will pay its way. Mm -hmm. 
Cool. Um, so, what are, I'm curious, what are your, um, what are some of your favorite rides? Um, have you gone out and, and ridden around from station to station? Are there, are there certain things that you've? Uh, has anybody done a tour of of all the stations? Anthony, he's got the big number, so why don't you take that one? <laughs> um, you know, we uh, personally one of my favorite ones. Uh, you know, last year that I did quite a bit was um, I would bike from downtown down to the uh, Stone Arch Bridge. You know, to, to see the sunset down there, and that's a great area. And, and um, just around the, around the system in general, it's a lot of fun. Um, but as far as uh, as far as the stations, I do know that um, you know we had several people last year. I think try to hit all of them in a twenty four hour period. Was it? Yes. Um, so, and I think they got really close, but it <laughs> we had uh, there was a group of ten people who we had one hundred and forty five stations, and they were going to hit all one hundred and forty five. They did it in like late July. It was one of the hottest days of the summer. It was near one hundred degrees. And um, out of the ten, four of them were successful. Uh, all ten got over a hundred, but four of them got to one hundred forty-five, and they said it was about ninety-five miles oh. to ride them all. So it's a pretty big footprint at this point. Mm-hmm. This year we're going to have one hundred and seventy, so the the challenge grows. And I know that people are, are already <laughs> talking about it. Yeah, I was thinking about it myself actually, and I, I wonder if you have to split it into two days. I guess because I did it in Madison, but Madison's you know only thirty stations, and and they're I mean I probably rode you know ten miles max. Um. <laughs> yeah, at this at this point, I think it becomes a at least a thirty six hour challenge. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do I get a? Do, do you get a one of those? I, I feel like I feel like in order to do that easily, you need one of those keys, because when I was in Madison, having to put your card in all the time was just made it a lot more difficult. Yeah, the key really speeds things up. And in this group, some of them had a key and some of them didn't. Um, so it's possible to do it either way. Uh, you know. If I'm doing my job, we, we'll actually have 170 stations online that day, and they'll be able to hit them all. That's huh. that's what's challenging for me about it, is to make sure that all the equipment's working. What day is this? I, I don't think that there's a date set, oh, but okay. I know that there's been some talk online about about setting one up again. Okay, I might be the only one to do it with the snow on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> is there a prize? <laughs> cool, so um, what else? I, I, I guess we should probably wrap up. Uh, any um, Any... Interesting station designs. I was thinking. I saw one in uh, in St. Paul yesterday that was kind of it was separated. That uh, was right by the entrance to the bridge. So there was yeah. um, two separate dot, like in a, in a L shape. And then some of the ones I've seen popping up in New York and uh, via the internet um, are like angled docks. Yeah, New York has some equipment that we haven't that, that, that we don't have yet. So they had some uh, docks placed at an angle so the bikes aren't at ninety degrees to the rest of the station, and they can use a, uh, a narrower space on the sidewalk, which would be great. This is a new innovation. Finding locations for stations is a very big challenge. We typically need fifty feet of unobstructed space with no manhole covers or other things in the in the street or sidewalk. Uh, we don't know, we can't cover anything up like that. Um, a lot of times they're on the public right-of-way, but even then you need to get the buy-in of the business owners in the area. We have very few places where we've taken parking off the street, and, and um, we've made some progress on that, but generally you got to get out everybody who might be using that parking to buy into the idea. Um, so New York, gigantic challenge to find locations for the number of stations that they're talking about, and when you go to you know lower Manhattan and see how tight the, the area is, it's really tough. The other things that you have to think about is, are you know, are you going to have sunlight? Are you going to be able to keep the thing running? Uh, sometimes we can find great location, but it's in the dark. There's a tree on over it or something. Yeah, here in Madison, I've I've been uh, sort of enlightened by the needs in terms of in terms of sunlight. I mean, I never realized how big of an issue that was, you know. And, um, 
it sort of makes you want to plug it into the grid, but at the same time, it's, <laughs> it's nice to be able to say that this is drawing its own power. Maybe we could um, find some way to, to hook the generators up. You know, there are generators on that for the lights. Maybe we could, in the daytime, we could hook that up. That would be batteries. nice yeah, if, the, if the, bikes, get their the bikes could store power and then put it back into the station when yeah. they get returned. I mean, I'd be willing to do that. Just uh, Even in the winter, just have people come up, you know. Just uh, yeah, give me a, give me a, a free subscription. I'll come in the winter. And, you know, do a mile or two on the stationary yeah, sure. stationary nice ride bike. Why not? <laughs> well, we've got stations now in all different sorts of locations. So some of them are in parks, some of them are on the streets, some of them are on private property, uh, along bike paths and off street trails and things like that. Um, and then, like you saw at the end of the bridge there, in a lot of cases we're gonna have to make do. So we've kind of come up with some of our own custom hardware to get around. Uh, various obstacles that would keep us from putting one in. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, yeah, so anything else you guys want to touch on before we wrap up? I don't know if I could have thought of everything. Everybody should come to Minneapolis and get on green bikes. That's the only <laughs> thing I'll say. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Um, you know, if, if you see them, it's definitely worth trying, and, and that's the um, that's the best way to start. Just just check out a 24-hour pass. Yeah. i got to come up with some schemes to get my, my hands on one of those, uh, those little keys because I'm like... You know, if I do the tour, I have to I have to become an annual member. Because you can't use it in multiple cities, right? right. No, so uh, B-Cycle has got a reciprocity uh, system now. So they have, I think, 18 cities. Uh, I mean, some of those are like Hawaii has two stations, but uh, <laughs> um, it's yeah. Denver and Boulder and Madison. So you can use, I don't really understand exactly how it works. I don't know that you can use your card, uh, but there is some process where you have to apply or something. It. I've always been saying, you know, we should be do, we should be doing this for transit agencies. You know, this is something that, um, you know, you can drive your car across the country yeah. and the same tolls and everything. And then, but with transit, it's like you always have to buy a pass, and you know, everything's incompatible. Well, yeah, that's so. been kind of the the fourth generation idea for the longest time, and it's uh, it, that and having integration with transit so that I could use my bus card or rent a bike. But the the the, the back end stuff just isn't there. The business agreements aren't really in place. Yeah. And, and there's all these questions about um, legality. So if I'm a if I have joined Denver B Cycle and I go to Madison, I haven't accepted the waiver in Madison. So the first thing I got to do is I got is I need to accept a waiver so that they, so that they're covered in case I get run over by the garbage truck. And um, from what I understand, the way that the system that they have now works is you take your card that you would normally use at the dock to get a bike out and you go up to their pay station and insert it and it gives you a copy of the waiver and it says, please agree to the waiver. And then once you've agreed mm -hmm. to the waiver, then you're allowed to rent bikes. And then the other part of it is who gets the money? So now I've run up this big bill um, and they don't have my billing information. Denver's got it. So I think I also need to insert a credit card and they use that credit card to bill me like I would be a casual user, but they essentially allow me to, I put my, my bike card in first so they know that I have a subscription, then I put in my credit card so they know how to bill me, and I've accepted the user agreement, and now I'm in their system, and now they keep all the money, Denver doesn't get anything. So then the last question is, if I'm gonna sign up in New York, it costs 100 bucks, and if I'm gonna sign up in Minneapolis, it costs $65. Who would ever sign up in New York if my key's gonna mm. work in any city? Right. And that's the one that hasn't really been answered yet, to my knowledge. I don't know what they've done in the B-Cycle system, but I haven't heard a, a proposed solution to it yet. Well, B-Cycle, I think Denver and, and Madison would be the biggest cities that they have. Yeah. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, Alta has a number, of, I mean, has the biggest cities, right? I mean, Boston, New York, and DC. 
Um, I loved riding in Boston. It's so great. Uh, although I always thought they should have picked a better color. I don't like the gray bikes. I want something bright and flashy, you know? Yeah. Well, that's so. the way they are in uh, Montreal, too. And they had a whole different uh, view of it than we did, that they wanted it to blend in with the street furniture and kind of be invisible. And we really wanted it to be as visible as possible. Um, mm. For uh, you know, for our own reasons, to get people to take notice, and, and also just to, to make people more visible on the street. A lot of That's stuff great, lined yeah. up for the West Coast. There's all these bike nation projects that I don't know very much about, but um, Long Beach and LA, and I don't know. I think they've got San Diego now too, and they're talking about thousands of bikes, and it's all supposed to start this summer. Oh, wow. um, San Francisco is in line after Chicago, I think, and Portland, and they're supposed to start this year. I think there's more than a dozen pretty large cities that are going to be coming online. Wow. So this is like, it's growing. I mean, it's yeah. this new public transit mode is just, it's going to be everywhere. Mm-hmm. It is growing quite quickly. Yeah. I think, was it 13 new new ones that were coming this year? Wow. Yeah, they're, they're popping up very quickly, cool. which is great. <laughs> you know, it's a trend we want to see happen. So. Yeah. Well, I think the one of the next ones right after New York will be Columbus, which I don't know. I don't recall how big it is, but you know it's three hundred bikes or something. Probably their 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 greater downtown area to start with, and they always have to start small, right? I mean, you have to start where you know the ridership is going to be biggest. Yeah, cool. Even just for that, I like it. It's just useful, even if it was just in downtown here. You know, it just makes things so much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to be able to go, I don't know. When I get one of these bikes out, I I just I feel so happy and <laughs> in a way that I don't on one of this. So. Maybe it's I mean, there's something special about it. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, and my experience as a traveler in cities that had bike share, I, it's just the greatest thing ever. You know, I mean, going to uh, being able to go to a city and not have to figure out you don't really have to figure out the transit system when you get there if it's an unfamiliar city like you don't have to know where the bus goes and what time the train comes and things because the bikes are everywhere and you can get to wherever you need to go on your own schedule yeah and you're slowing down as well in a sense of as opposed to driving through a city or things like that you're going to see things that you might not see otherwise which is a fantastic way to view a city so it's uh it's great any visitors i bring here we always go out on nice ride bikes it's and they love it so cool well, thanks so much for chatting with me, and it's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Next time you're in town, maybe it won't be snowing. Yeah, hopefully it won't be snowing. Lousy weather today. But <laughs> <laughs> thanks again to Anthony and Mitch for joining me and for talking all about bikes and this wonderful stuff, wonderful bike-sharing system, and the exciting things that are going on in the Twin Cities. After our chat, we uh, were walking around the shop a little bit, and Anthony gave me a quick tour, including the back. I got to see the inside of the dock, um, the guts of the system, and uh, and he talked to me a little bit about uh, moving bikes around. You got uh, two big dummies here, which is uh, nice. Yes, so these are these are the company uh, vehicles. <laughs> so so yes, yeah, so we we use these for events. We usually are hauling a, an event trailer, as you can see up there. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, or we'll just throw the things up on the back of the big dummy here but we actually have three of these um, that we uh, one's in repair right now but um, we use these to get to all of our events around the Twin Cities and we'll just stack up the uh, supplies and the tent and all that good stuff and, and <laughs> head down there so cool. so you mostly when you move bikes around you mostly do it by in a van or do you use a trailer is that 
Do you use that for moving bikes around? Or? Unfortunately, no. My my, I keep having this recurring dream. Uh, <laughs> you know, I keep having this recurring dream that we could have a guy on a bike with a four bike trailer and uh, have have them rebalancing with that. Um, you know, I, I haven't done the math on it yet, but like I said, you know, it's it's a great thing. Uh, it would be great to do it that way, but you know, realistically, the numbers of bikes that we have to move, a lot of it's done by truck. Um, yeah, it's by these smaller rangers that you know relatively efficient. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Boston. I saw they have a, they have a trailer that at least one that holds uh, two hubway bikes. Um, but the only time I ever saw it was that it was a an open streets event that were you know they were just riding out just to kind of show it and they were giving away free one day coupons. And exactly. I don't think they were actually moving bikes with it. More, more of a promotional uh, yeah. uh, attempt, yes. But it was pretty cool. Exactly. You know, this is very cool. I, I don't know. I I have it designed in my my mind how you could get four bikes up there. But honestly, they they weigh close to fifty pounds each. So they're, they're quite heavy, and, and yeah. you know maybe four of them you could manage uh, for a single rider uh, on relatively even even plane. But yeah, that'd be uh, tough for some of the hills and everything. Just just moving these bikes all over. I imagine exactly. you know you have the. I mean, it's the old hill issue, right? Where people take the bikes and they ride it downhill, and then you have to bring it back up. And <laughs> you know, if people get on the bike for the first time in the season and, and take it down the hill, and then they go, "Oh my gosh, this is great!" You know, uh, you know, and everything, and then they get go home at the end of the day and they realize that they've been riding downhill or against or into the wind, you know, on the way back. So. Yep. This, is the, uh, this is the whole thing with bike touring as well. I found out <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, you know, it's hard to plan for uh, a lot of the terrain and, and things like that, but you know, it's adds to the excitement. Next, we ran into Bill Dossett, the executive director of Nice Ride, in the hallway, and he was happy to talk about biking. Uh, he was very, very busy that day, but he was happy to take a few minutes out and uh, explain some of his favorite rides and, and some a little bit about how the cycling network in the Twin Cities has been developing. I love hanging around downtown. There's um, a lot of fun kind of spots to cruise around all the different bridges, um, and you know, so... I don't know, in a week you can go everywhere. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> the, you know, tourists, a lot of tourists like to go to the lakes. Um, uh, if it's cold outside, I would do a tour of coffee shops. That would be a, a great way to spend it. That would be a great one, too. Yeah, Anthony was telling me a little bit about that there are certain tours that people have put together. Yeah, so those were done a couple of years ago, and there's some fun you know, ways to explore. And, you know, it's like any other city. It's the time of day. So in, in the evenings, you want to go to the warehouse district. Um, afternoons, probably want to go to retail places like Dinky Town or Uptown or uh, um, Grand Avenues. Uh, fun place to go cruise around over St. Paul. Yeah, um, yeah I, was, I rode down Summit, Summit Avenue and mm-hmm. Grand and St. Paul. And it, was, it was very nice. Yeah, two different experiences. Some yeah. of it is the old Bumper Barons. Um, it has a great big, that's the one of the very first uh, bike lanes in the Twin Cities was the summit. Uh, and so w- when I was first starting to do road biking, that was like the thing to do was to go ride on Summit Avenue. Uh, but you still had to watch for people opening their car doors, and I didn't know somebody that got hurt that way. Um, and it was just because drivers had no concept. You know, the idea of a bike lane was still so new, um, and, and now we got lots of bike lanes. But it sounds like the, I mean, the bike trails have been here for a while, right? But well, off-road trails have right. been here, you know, probably 15 years that we've had some, but not. Um, you know, the, the way it all started is we had trails around the lakes, um, so those have been here for years and years. Um, but this was the, this is the Midtown Greenway. And it became the connector that connected all the lakes to all these bike lanes that are going downtown. Um, and uh, it really became the driver for creating a network. So 
uh, once this was in, you saw lots more trails connecting up to it um, and lots of the kind of gaps in the system being done. This map is, uh, it's funny because it doesn't show nearly, this was a, the first map we ever printed, uh, so it's three years old. Uh, the current maps show a lot more dense trails than that one does. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Uh, I know I did and uh, had a great time. And thanks so much to Anthony and Mitch and Bill and, and all the others who so graciously welcomed me into the Nice Ride office and showed me around. And uh, and I was very excited to get on a Nice Ride bike in St. Paul. I'm here at a Nice Ride station in front of Union Depot in downtown St. Paul. And I'm going to punch in my code. All right, I have a bicycle. Let me just pop my bag in here. I'll loosen this little strap thing. Get the bag. And I can fasten this bungee cord. I definitely prefer the B-cycle racks. Where it was easier to get the bag in there. But that's okay. Take what I can get. If I can get a bike to ride around for half an hour. It's kind of hard to complain about that. So I hope you enjoyed that show. Please send me your thoughts, feedback. Uh, if Have you been on a nice ride bike or do you have any thoughts about bike sharing? Uh, please send those in. You can comment on the site, criticaltransit.com, or you can send me an email, feedback at criticaltransit.com. There's also a contact form on the website. You can find me on Facebook and on Twitter at Critical Transit, and I try to post a lot of stuff there and uh, share things that other people are posting that I think are, are interesting. And uh, so, yeah, get in touch there and uh, let me know what you think. Pass on your suggestions for topics and guests. And, and if you get something out of the show, please consider going to criticaltransit.com and looking on the right side for the donate button to help support the show. Uh, everything that I'm, that I'm doing, all these, uh, these transit trips, cost a bit of money and there, there are costs involved in, in hosting the site. And I actually need to upgrade the site to a, a more expensive hosting plan because it's, it's growing uh, which is very exciting. I'm happy to see the growing support and uh, growing interest in sustainable multimodal transportation. So, uh, so that's very exciting. But th there are certainly costs in it. So if, if you uh, have the money and are able to give a few bucks, even just uh, you know, please please consider doing that. And your support is greatly appreciated. So next, I'm going to be moving on north to Duluth, and uh, I'm hoping to uh, be riding and and taking transit around there a little bit. I, uh, I maybe make a stop in St. Cloud, Minnesota as well. Uh, we shall, we shall see if, uh, if time and if time permits and the limited North Star commuter rail schedule will allow me to do that. And after that, I'm going to be going across the upper peninsula of Michigan. So, uh, I haven't yet decided how that's going to be happening, whether that's going to be, uh, on, uh, on a bike and doing some camping or, uh, that might be just, it might be just on an Indian trails bus that goes across, uh, overnight so we shall shall see how that works out and i'm excited to bring you reporting from mackinac island which is a uh small car-free island where a lot of people live and, and work out there uh it's between the upper peninsula and lower peninsula of michigan and so I'm, I'm looking forward to bringing you reporting from there and experiencing that firsthand uh it it just might be nirvana so we shall see uh, anyway have a, have a great week or whatever it is until I get you the next episode, hopefully sooner, but uh, you never know. So I will, I will talk to you then. In the meantime, feedback at criticaltransit.com.